Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Amen. Please come, Sean. Thank you, Dan. Um, thank you for uh, leading our worship service in such a beautiful way this morning. Uh, in many respects, I, I felt after that congregational prayer that, uh, that we could just go home. You really managed to uh, encapsulate what I hope to communicate um, or, or, or build upon um, this morning uh, through the examination of, of God's Word. And um, I know he, he just read it to us, but I'm going to read uh, our passage again this morning from Matthew 2. Uh, I, I'm not going to uh, be in it line by line throughout the sermon, uh, so, but, I, but I wanted to permeate uh, our minds this morning um, as I'm preaching. So, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen where it rose, when it rose, went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that through the examination of your holy word this morning, that we would have a greater glimpse of your love for us, that we would be filled with joy because of the riches that we have in you through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to uh, make a bit of a pre-introduction introduction to the sermon this morning, maybe an apology of sorts. You see, our, our sermon text this morning is cut short, right? And, and no, I don't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm not cutting the sermon itself short. My sermons are generally pretty short as they are. You'll be fine, okay? Um, what I mean is um, one would expect and maybe demand that a message on the three wise men would carry all the way to verse 12 in Matthew chapter 2. Um, but here we are this morning, December 13th, and that puts us firmly in the middle of the Advent season. This chapter, chapter 2, on the other hand, is most appropriately a pre-Advent text. The silence of the ages was already broken by the Son of God crying in a manger in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. And yet, uh, these first 10 verses of Matthew 2 are sort of an Advent journey. It's true that uh, outside of the Baptist tradition, uh, six days after New Year's, these verses are actually the focus of Three Kings Day. And, and formally part of the historic church calendar season known as Epiphany. We're Baptists, we're going to do that. Um, it, it's a, Epiphany is a celebration of Jesus' first appearance in the flesh to the entire world. A recognition annually that the, that the baby who looked perfect to his mother was in fact perfectly God, perfectly man, the perfect prophet, priest, and king, the perfect sacrifice. But, but before all these things would be made known in the fullness of time, there was a star in the sky, a star unlike other stars, as its very appearance in the dark night brought joy to the wise men who sought the one who was born the king of the Jews. And because finding joy in the darkness is such a central theme to Advent, I take back my, my apology. Um, it's not an apology, more of just an explanation, I think. Yeah, no apologies this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful night, and two philosophers are underneath a blanket of stars. One says to the other, Timon, ever wonder 
what those sparkling dots are up there, the other, without skipping a bead, says, Pumbaa. I don't wonder. I know. They're fireflies. Fireflies that got stuck up in that big, bluish, black thing. Pumbaa responds, Oh, gee, I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away. Timba brings the philosophical and scientific discourse to a close by saying, Pumbaa, with you, everything's gas. Now, uh, even if you're unfamiliar, and it sounds like many of you are familiar, even if you're unfamiliar with uh, the Lion King, I think we can all relate to Pumbaa in more ways than one. Yes, Pumbaa. <laughs> uh, perhaps you've tried living out their philosophy known as Hakuna Matata. Uh, but I don't know how you could for long. Uh, it may be a wonderful phrase, but I can't even manage to practically apply the problem-free philosophy to a family vacation for more than 15 minutes. I challenge you with children to, to try it. It cannot be done. Um, but Hakuna Matata does point to something. It points to a longing for something beyond. We can certainly imagine an idealistic world where there are no worries for the rest of our days. Unfortunately for our furry friends, the fault it is uh, in the stars, um, or at least the way that they look at those stars. See, they look up at the heavens and are limited rather humorously, right, by the confines of science textbooks. I'm not suggesting this morning that, that we should chuck our textbooks in the trash and, and for the sake of our imaginations, uh, conjure up a, a neo-pagan narrative of how the stars came to be. Not, not at all. Um, there's no reason to go back and pretend like science is also a myth. Nevertheless, a philosophy that says all there is to living is in the now and doing that which maximizes our happiness in the now can only make sense if the stars in the sky are and have only ever been nothing more than balls of gas burning millions of miles away. And we should, we should recognize, honestly, that, that the knowledge of the good science that tells that tells us of what the stars in the night sky billions of miles away are made of and how they work also informs the way that we think about all sorts of things, regardless of whether we intend it to be that way or not. So imagine with me for a moment that Jesus was born today rather than over 2,000 years ago. If God were to fix a star in the sky that would point to the city of Bethlehem, there would not be, I, I think, uh, astrologically driven 
kings from the east seeking the newborn king. Instead, we would have meteorologists and astronomers uh, explaining the natural phenomenon in a manner that would preclude the possibility of the divine. And that, brothers and sisters, should trouble us. Again, the point is not to discard science, uh, but the point is instead that we should not hold on to the science in such a way that it strangles out the realities of the workings of our God who created all things and by whom all things hold together. To be true to our humanness is to recognize that we are more than skin and bones. We are, as the psalmist said, fearfully and wonderfully made. Made is true in a manner that can be explained dryly and matter-of-factly, but we have souls, souls that long for eternity and that see the divine blueprint in the cosmos. We cannot lose sight of the fact that the Bible makes it clear that the master architect remains engaged in his created world. And so, when we come to this place, gather together, we should expect to engage him. When we pray around the dinner table, it should not be a perfunctory speech, but a communication to the God who is capable of positioning a star, or who knows, maybe a giant asteroid, in the night sky as a sign that one member of the Godhead has miraculously become both fully God and fully man so that we can be restored to him. When we open our Bibles, it's not our task to merely appro approach it with the tools that enable us to uncover the original meaning, but also also to allow those words that are living and active through the Holy Spirit to be explored in our hearts and to search our hearts. Speaking of which, let's go back uh, to our Bibles. Um, back into the text of, of Matthew's Gospel. It begins in chapter 1 with Jesus' genealogy. It only takes a quick observation to see that the genealogy here is different from the genealogy that's found in Luke chapter 3. In Luke's gospel, Jesus' ancestry is traced all the way back to Adam. Um, whereas here in Matthew chapter 1, it only goes back as far as Abraham, the father of Israel. And so uh, many a preacher will, if preaching line by line, uh, through this gospel, will use this distinction to speak about how thoroughly, uh, Jew, uh, how thoroughly Jewish Matthew's perspective is as a writer. The question, though, is what's the point, right? Um, it might make for a fun Jeopardy uh, question, but like, why does it matter? Uh, let's go back uh, in time, not 2,000 years ago, but more like 4,000 years ago. It's also starry night, but this time, instead of the focus being on the promise brought by one star that outshines all the others, the promise 
is found in all the stars. So turn with me, if you can, to Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 5. And he, that is God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So the genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1 isn't rooted in its Judaism simply so that the people of Hebraic ancestry can, can say, uh, maybe this kid in, in Bethlehem should be recognized as my king. That's certainly part of the point, and we can see that in Matthew 2, verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, you shall, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The bigger picture is actually drawn out in Matthew 2.9. When we move from a king for the Jews to a world-shaping event that brings joy to the hearts of some strange kings from the Far East. The one star of Bethlehem that lights up the whole sky brings a righteousness that when believed in faith transforms the hearts of anyone, regardless of who their great-great-great-grandparents were. The promise made to Abram on a night when the stars are too numerous to count is fulfilled in the appearance of a single star that shines like no other. The same God of Abram, who called him to believe in faith and thus be counted as righteous, calls you and I 4,000 years later to believe and be counted righteous. Friends, if you're listening to this Advent message and are wandering in the dark, please journey to the manger and worship the King who died on the cross for your sins. Salvation is the gift anyone can receive, no matter what they've done in the past, if they only accept it in faith. And it's a faith that brings joy, joy to all who see it for, it, for as it, it truly is and receive it as such. Jesus' teaching ministry, he says this very thing in parables. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I listen to the news and I know there's a lot of discussion of what Christians believe and, and think and, and feel about the state of things in 2020. I'm not here to point a finger at anyone. 
I'll say we're all prone to be distracted from the really important things, all of us. What I'm saying is this, a Christian is one who has seen that the opportunity to know and worship Jesus outweighs anything else the world has to offer, full stop. And while it may not cause us to live in a trouble-free world, it will cause us to find joy, lasting joy for all eternity, and also joy in the journey uh, to our final home. As I said early when I, earlier, when I think of the Magi journeying by night, I think of Advent. It's, it's so dark this time of year, and, and unlike the summer, when there's no shortage of tree frogs and crickets and other sounds throughout the night, the winter night is characteristically marked by silence. And so we rightly sing, silent night, holy night, all is calm. But the silence of Advent is anticipatory. It is hopeful. A silence and a darkness that both long for a cacophony of joyful noise and bright, radiant light. Shepherds in the night hear the angels. Once they get over uh, the fear of seeing heavenly hosts, there's joy. The magi see the star in the dark night and there's joy. The God of heaven is breaking through. In the 1997 movie, Life is Beautiful, there are three main characters. A man, his wife, and son are transferred by train from the beautiful Italian city they call home to a Nazi concentration camp. It's stark in its industrial bent to forge more and more weapons to continue the assault against humanity. In the camp, the men are separated from the women, and yet our hero Guido, who loves his wife so much, wants to communicate to Dora, his wife, in any way that he can. One night, he's tasked was serving at a party for the camp's Nazi leadership. And it's there that he finds his opportunity. So there's a record player next to a window. And when one record uh, has been played, he goes and selects another one. He selects a new record from the collection, and then he takes the record player's horn loudspeaker, and he redirects it so that the music can flow out the window and into the rest of the camp. In the dark camp cells, the prisoners of the Holocaust unexpectedly hear an opera from the composer Offenbach. Dora hears it with the others who are awake at that hour, but she knows it pierces the night sky uniquely for her 
Because years ago, that opera by Offenbach played a pivotal role in their courtship. This is no mere coincidence. This is the work of a man who loves her so much that he would risk his life just for her to hear this message of love. Despite the horrors and atrocities of the showers that emit deadly gas and the extreme work conditions that left laborers to be swiftly murdered when they were no longer capable of the work, the music cuts through and provides an unexpected joy. The knowledge that there is still love, a love that shatters the dark, dark silence of that night. It's not a, it's not a perfect analogy, but, but you and I and the Magi are a bit like Dora. After days and days in the camp, she was simply trying to survive. But once she heard the song, she knew there was a reason for enduring. Similarly, it's true. The Magi didn't know exactly what the Star of Bethlehem signified. How could they have known that it was a sign revealed uniquely to them that the God of the Jews was delivering a king of the Jews who is truly the Lord of all humankind. And that rather than taking the throne that Herod sat on, he would take up a cross and a crown of thorns. But they did know that it was, in fact, a message uniquely for them. And for this reason, it filled the Magi with joy. And their journey now had a clearly fixed purpose. Similarly, Christians, our seasons of the Advent can be long and marked with suffering. But we must recall that during these times we have hope in a Savior who has called uniquely to us to come to him. There is a light in the darkness. I think, too, of the others in the concentration camp, those who heard Offenbach that night. Um, were, they, were, they were probably a good bit like those uh, 2,000 years ago who could have seen the star of Bethlehem in the sky but didn't have schooling in astrology uh, like the Magi and, and thus were incapable of knowing that the star pointed to the king of the Jews. But they still saw it. And I think that they would indeed have been filled with wonder at the sight of its unique beauty. This, brothers and sisters, reminds us that many see through Advent to the joy of Christmas. And although they may not have the revelation to experience it and receive it with full joy, they still see something of its beauty, particularly when it shines most beautifully through those who seek to embody Christ living through them, through their lives. So be filled with joy 
because the star that shone over Bethlehem has conveyed a message of love and hope. And let the joy flow out of you in such a way that others see it in you and hear it come from you and are enticed and driven to the same light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have broken through the darkness and that your son, Jesus, uh, broke through by taking on flesh and becoming sin for us in spite of the fact that he knew no sin. How great is our salvation. How great our joy should be because of this salvation. Lord, fill us with that joy. Help us to see the great treasure for the beauty that it is and cause it to be a light within each of us that shines through the darkness that others may also see and partake of the grace that we have found in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, what a great reminder of the joy that we see in Christ, the star that pointed to him and himself laying in the manger. Let's stand to our feet.